You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Hello, listeners. You have tuned in to the insurance deal, whether you meant to or not. I am your host, Ellen Deal, and it is my pleasure to be with you again. If you're wondering what it is you've tuned into, again, it is the insurance deal. And this is a weekly radio show where we get to talk about all things insurance and have a fun time doing it. In past weeks and future weeks, we're going to be talking about all things insurance, any Thing from home and auto to business. Today, I have the pleasure of my guest being Bert Haney of Haney Health Brokerage. And Bert and I go back to about 2003, I think. Um, and I've been in the insurance industry since 92 and a sales rep since 96. So I've had a lot of exposure to different facets of the industry, anything from group health insurance to individual to PBMs, which is pharmacy benefit management for those of you out there who really care to know. So if you are an individual or if you are a small business, today you want to listen up because we're going to have a lot of fun talking about healthcare costs, healthcare reform, what in the world is going on, and why uh, Bert Haney maybe has the answer to all of our healthcare woes. So as I started to say, Bert and I go back to, I think, 2003, but he's probably got a better memory than I do. Um, And he is historically the top producing individual broker for individual business and for Medicare, Medicaid, I always get those two wrong. Medicare. Medicare. Um, Year over year. So all of the big insurance companies know this guy and clamor after him. So I was very fortunate to get Bert as our guest today. So Bert, say hey to everybody. Good morning. Um, then tell them, uh, how did you stumble into the wonderful world of insurance? What made you do this? Well, about 42 years ago, I was approached by the manager at the company by the name of Mutual of Omaha, who recruited me into the insurance business. I was an agent for Mutual for two years. I then wrote barely enough business to get promoted into management. They moved me to Miami, where I taught the new agent school in Miami for a year. I came back to Atlanta and was one of their district managers doing recruiting, training, and retaining of new agents. I did that for another two years and then figured out I couldn't make a living uh, supporting myself, much less a family, in management with Mutual of Omaha. So I decided to go back into the field as an agent. And started brokering business from there and eventually left Mutual of Omaha because it was a captive situation, meaning that you could only sell products for Mutual of Omaha. They did not allow you to sell other products. Okay. So I ventured out and became a broker representing many different companies that would fit the individual's situation and have, like I said, been doing it for 42 years now. Oh, my God. We have about... Um, nearly 200 groups insured, being small groups, and we have 1,800, give or take, individuals. Half our individuals are over 65, half then are under 65. Got it, got it. So are the insurance companies still paying commission on your existing book of business, or is that up for grabs? Well, what the carriers did during open enrollment 
We had one of the carriers say that we'll pay you $10 a month uh, per member per month on policies you write during open enrollment. We had another carrier say that we'll pay you $7 a month uh, per member per month during open enrollment. But outside of open enrollment, all the carriers came to the brokers and said, no, we're not going to pay you any commission at all. And basically what what I take that to mean is they're not going to pay us a commission to send them business that they actually no longer want. Wow. For the listeners out there, the reason why the the question about compensation is important is you don't work for free, I don't work for free, and neither do insurance agents and brokers who sell individual coverage. The idea that an insurance carrier could hire enough staff to adequately enroll and service all of these individuals, well, it really can't be done, which is why an insurance carrier would hire and pay agents and brokers across the state of Georgia to enroll individuals. Friends of mine that know I've been in the industry forever, when it was last open enrollment, and we will talk about open enrollment, what it was and what it is and what it should be, um, friends of mine were saying, well, how come I can't get a broker to call me back? Because there are some situations where the broker is not getting paid, so they would actually lose money if they spent time taking certain customers or servicing people. But the reason why individuals need an agent or a broker is think about claims and how those are handled. A broker that deals with an insurance carrier day in and day out has an understanding of where to go with claim issues or has an understanding of what is a reasonable claim or not. If you're trying to navigate your way through all the tunnels with an insurance carrier, you're going to have a hard time. So having an insurance broker to represent you and understand the carrier is going to be much easier for you versus you needing to learn everything about a carrier and how to get through that. So, Bert, what do you think is going to happen for the individual market in Georgia? Well, actually, I don't think we would really have an individual market left at all, uh, maybe even across the whole country. I believe, within three years. I think we'll be forced into the single-payer or socialized medicine. I see two things happening currently, and the first one is we won't have any insurance companies left to speak of. We're down to two or three left now. In Georgia. In Georgia. Mm -hmm. In addition, I believe that within three years, you're going to have more than 50% of the population no longer being able to afford these rates. Uh, as a family rate is, um, you know, going above $2,000 a month in most cases today. Above 2000 above, a month. Above 2000 a month is, is pretty typical. Okay, see, I did not realize, I've been stepped away from the individual market for a little while. I didn't realize it was that bad. I thought at $1,200 that, you know, the average American, this was, do I pay my mortgage or do I insure my family for their health and well-being uh, $2,000. That's, a, that's wow, a house payment and a car payment. Right. So, again, what we see happening is either the carriers will be gone or the public won't be able to afford it. Therefore, it actually forces the government to take over the delivery system 
of health care for the for the uh, population. And we've known this now for a good nine years. We've seen this coming for nine years. We've been screaming about this for nine years. But obviously nothing has been done about it, um, and public hasn't been paying attention. And here, here's where we are. So I've been hearing some commercials lately on the radio about MediShare, and they're saying, you know, what would you do with an extra $500 a month? And the the situation for families now is they're going to have to start turning to something like a MediShare, and there, there are a number of different companies that do that. But what's that what's the impact that's going to have on health insurance companies and the uninsured i'm just all across the board well that's actually one of the problems in the industry those type plans because what they're doing is they're cherry picking the market in most cases you have to qualify medically to get into those faith based plans that's what they're yeah leaving behind people with medical history in these pools well if you uh, again, are pulling the healthy people out of the insurance company's pools, it, it puts the, the ones that are left in the death spiral and their rates are just going out of control. The other thing that they're capitalizing on is they're very careful not to call it insurance, mm-hmm. which it's not. Because what they're doing is they're taking, collecting premiums, putting the premiums into the pool, paying the claims out of the pool which is exactly what insurance companies do. But what the insurance companies do in addition to that, they're paying a premium to insure the pool mm-hmm. so that the pool does not go bankrupt. Okay. Well, the faith-based companies aren't paying a premium to insure the pool, so there is no insurance. So when a large enough claim is filed or when claims become large enough, they have to then go to the members and ask for more money, which has been known to happen. I had a client many years ago come to me that had bought the plan at $400 a month, but when his premium went to $2,200 a month, he was calling uncle. He had to get out of it. Fortunately, he was healthy enough, and I could put him back into a fully insured individual plan underwritten by an insurance company uh, uh, to have him not have to pay his $2,200 a month premium. So it almost sounds like something that I remember back from like 1992, and I'm gonna I'm gonna use the wrong acronym possibly. So there are things called MIWAs and um, association plans. That there, there's a ton of those products out there, but they they just don't have the stability in the marketplace. Some of them are ACA, the Affordable Care Act compliant. Mm-hmm. Some of them are not. Mm-hmm. The faith-based plans are ACA compliant, but they're able to get around a lot of the, the rules that in, the insurance companies have to play by, but they're not required to play by the same rules. So with association plans or faith-based plans or anything like that, it and this is a conversation you and I have had before back in the day when a new insurance company would come to town or an insurance carrier would get into the individual market. You always wanted to wait three years to see how it performed before putting any of your customers in it. And for the listening audience out there, here's what happens in a three-year cycle with an association plan or 
or maybe even a faith-based plan. I don't know. We don't seem to have proof yet. But the first year, because they have no members and no claims, they're able to have very, very low rates. Well, the second year, as they're underwriting the people that they bring on and bringing people on, they're able to underwrite and keep the unhealthy people out and bring the healthy people in so their claims stay good in the second year. And I'm, I'm approximating, you can slice this any way you want, but essentially by the third year, maybe they're starting to experience some claims and having to increase their rates to cover the costs that are now existing in their group, association, pool, whatever you want to call it. So at about the third year, that's when the prices start to go up. Then I guess it's just a matter of how long can they maintain before the rates get so high that all the healthy people leave, they jump out of the pool, and then what's left in the pool are the unhealthy people. But it sounds like that's not, it sounds like that's just the cycle of life for any kind of insurance. Well, that's true, but then if you look around, how many of those association plans are actually left? Where are they today? The example that I've I've always used is the Board of Realtors and the Home Builders Association. I cannot begin to tell you how many different insurance companies they have had writing those two associations because the carriers keep canceling the association when it becomes unprofitable. And if you're not charging a high enough premium, eventually it will become unprofitable. I've always said that claims are claims. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make any difference what pool you're in. If you have one cancer person for every 100 people you're insuring, you're going to have two cancer people for every 200 people you're insuring. Mm -hmm. And it just doesn't make any difference. When you buy an individual plan, you're not an individual with that insurance company. You're in the individual pool with every other person in the state that has bought that individual plan. So in reality, your individual pool may actually be larger than the association plan that you may have joined and what their pool may consist of. Okay, well, hang on to that thought. We're going to go to a break, and when we come back, we're going to elaborate on that more because I'm sure that my listeners find this as riveting as I do, and I am not kidding. We will be back after the break. Do you have problems with sinus pain and pressure? Do other people smell things that you don't? Have you lost the joy in eating because food just doesn't taste like it used to? Is your nose always stuffy, no matter what you do? Maybe you have sinus or nasal polyps. These are generally benign growths that occur from chronic sinus infection or allergies that are either undertreated or have not been treated at all. At Peachtree ENT Center, we specialize in minimally invasive balloon dilation sinus surgery and correction of a deviated nasal septum and turbinate reduction surgery that can be done in the office. We use a state-of-the-art equipment so that you can see the problem. You will be a partner in your care, and together we will decide the course of treatment. We believe in old-fashioned medicine, where we take the time to fix the problem, not just medicate the symptoms. You can rest assured that all options will be offered before surgery is recommended, because Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. 
Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Hello, everybody. I am your host, Ellen Deal, and welcome back to The Insurance Deal. We have the pleasure of Bert Haney, president of Haney Health Brokerage, being our illustrious guest today. And I just want to thank you listeners out there for for hanging in there with us and staying tuned. If you are at America's Web Radio right now, you can hit the live stream button and see our lovely faces in front of these, uh, these microphones talking to you. Um, my name again is Ellen Deal, and if you have any questions about insurance in any capacity, you can reach me at idealsolutions at gmail.com. That's I-D-I-E-H-L solutions at gmail.com. And before we left on the break, Bert was talking about how uh, basically how the cycle of life goes in in claims. And Bert, before we jump back into the topic, do you want to share your contact info? Sure. My office line is uh, 678-384-3000. And you can reach me uh, uh, um, by email as well at Bert, which is B-E-R-T, at Haney, which is H-E-N-E, health h-e-a-l-t-h dot com alright great so um, let's recap a little bit what we were talking about in terms of um, what happens with claims when people get sick how in the world do we control it well in terms of controlling costs what I've always said is that no one is really willing to address the elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. You never hear Washington talk about it. You never hear the media talk about it. But the problem with health care is the cost mm-hmm. of health care. Mm-hmm. No one's talking about the cost. And if we continue having the rate of inflation with health care, no one is going to be able to afford insurance because the cost of health care is what's driving our insurance premiums. Sure. So the insurance companies basically, certainly in the individual market, have thrown their hands up and have exited pretty much that uh, um, market altogether. For folks that don't know or do know, in Georgia on January 1st, we will be left with two choices for individual coverage in Georgia, and that's Blue Cross for all 159 counties, and then Kaiser Permanente for some counties in the metro Atlanta area. And then we may have uh, Ambetter. I mm-hmm. think they're going to still be a, a player. Uh, and then we'll just have to wait and see if anybody else. But we've lost four carriers this year. Mm-hmm. Um Harkin was one that we lost uh, mm-hmm. August 1st. Cigna okay. has sent out letters to their insurers that they're being canceled as of January 1st. Okay. Aetna and Coventry are doing the same. They're no longer going to be here. Uh, Humana had pretty much pulled out, but they had one HMO product on the exchange that they were offering this year, but they've decided to pull that plan out of Georgia as well. And that's, you know, at least four carriers this year alone that we've lost. So here's probably what people in Washington think. They probably think, well, Blue Cross and Kaiser should be happy. Look at all the business they're going to get. 
No. What's happening is the healthiest people are leaving the market. Mm -hmm. When the government passed the law requiring insurance companies to have to issue policies, Mm -hmm. certainly the youngest and the healthiest recognized that they were pretty stupid to be buying health insurance now that the government has told them they can buy it after they get sick. Mm -hmm. It's as if government passes a law requiring our homeowners insurance companies to have to start issuing homeowners policies on people's homes after they catch on fire. Right. That just makes no sense. It's like government passing a law requiring life insurance companies to have to start issuing life insurance policies on our dead family members. I think that's brilliant. I've got a money-making scheme in the works already. Yeah, so how long would these companies stay in business if they had had to start insuring risks that had actually already occurred? That's not how insurance works. The definition of insurance, at least for me, is a product to help offset the cost Mm -hmm. of an unforeseen event. Mm -hmm. We've turned insurance into nothing more than a bill-paying service Mm -hmm. for the public today, Mm -hmm. and the public's mad when they have to pay 20 bucks to see a doctor uh, (laughs) for just uh, a cold. 20. 20 would be great. Or for even 40, even. 40 would be great. But... um, (laughs) It just, it's not supposed to work that way. It wasn't set up to work that way, right. and that's why the system is imploding because it's not going to work. Um, we've got so many great things to talk about. I made a note um, about MRIs versus x-rays. Uh, in terms of health care costs and, and things that have caused costs to rise, MRIs are great. What is it? Magnetic resonance imagery? Imaging. Okay. Uh, so I feel like we're on. We should have buzzed in on that one. You got it right. Um, <laughs> we need a buzzer. Do I get a prize? There you go. All right. We'll work on that. So for certain things, though, when did an MRI become necessary instead of an x-ray? I mean, a simple broken bone. Yeah. Well, I, I do agree that an MRI maybe has replaced an x-ray for more finer definition to see more, to diagnose more. So I I don't have a problem with that. Mm -hmm. What I have a problem with is what they're charging Mm -hmm. for the MRI. I can remember two decades ago, Mm -hmm. I was playing tennis with a guy that owned a company that sold and serviced serviced CAT scans. Mm -hmm. And I asked him one night at practice, I said, how long does it take a facility to pay for a CAT scan. And as he was standing on the court, he said, well, you know, it's about 1200 bucks. Uh, they're a million, you know, two for the machine. They're doing 20 a day. Uh, he came back and said, well, probably about 120 days. Wow. I said, so a facility can recoup a million two investment in 120 days. He goes, that's that's about right. Well, Bert, there's our answer. We just need there's, to buy ourselves an MRI machine yeah. and and let's go. Yeah, but that's the problem. It's the cost of health care 
that is driving the train. Mm-hmm. And that's that's where we are. We've got to look at the cost of health care. Right. And I believe, I mean, doctors, you know, I would not be able to do an appendectomy or any other type of surgery on myself. Doctors do need to be paid um, a, a, a fair wage, um, uh, actually more than a fair wage. They, they should be revered. Yeah, they do need to make more money than anybody else. Yeah. There's no question. Because I want the guy, you know, doing surgery on me or my family member very well compensated, uh, better than any other occupation. Because I want the smartest and brightest going into medicine. Yep, absolutely. So they need to be compensated for doing that. The problem is I've seen the pendulum swing too far okay. in the other direction. And now, and it's you know, you can put pharmaceutical companies at the top of the list, mm-hmm. hospitals. So it's not just doctors. It's it's the medical uh, equipment people. Right. Everybody involved in, in health care has, uh, has, has taken advantage. Goodness. Um, well, let's start into Bert Haney's top ten list of, what is this, top ten peeves or top ten things to fix things? Well, it's a work in progress, but I have 11 items on my top ten list so far. It's already growing, folks. It has a life of its own. So this is things that could be done to help solve the health care crisis in this country. Mm-hmm. And again, it's just the beginning. These mm-hmm. are just some of the beginning ideas that need to be in. And this is nothing more than common sense stuff dealing with the cost of health care. The first thing I've got on my list is we've got to do something about, as I've mentioned, the rising cost of health care, the actual cost. I think the cost of health care should be tied to the federal rate of inflation. Okay. If the federal rate of inflation is 2%, health care costs should not be allowed to rise more than 2% so that we can start getting a handle on what we're spending certainly in the future versus today and how much more based on on history mm-hmm. that we will be paying from one year to the next for health care. So I, I have a tendency to ask questions that some people may say are stupid. I used to work for someone who said, never ask a question you don't know the answer to, but since I'm not an attorney and I like to learn, I'm going to ask questions. Uh-huh. Um, so... The, the, when did the government take their eye off the ball on rising health care costs? Prescriptions is the, the easiest one, I think, for most folks to identify with. I mean, the cost of Claritin when it was prescribed versus not over-the-counter. I mean... Well, I don't think they've ever had their eye on the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, lobbyists are, are involved with this issue, and... And it's not going to be very popular for politicians to start telling people how much they can charge for their services. I do believe in the fair market system. Unfortunately, it does not work when it comes to health care. The law of supply and demand does not work when it comes to health care. I've always used the example that if you have a problem with your car and you Mm -hmm. drove it into a mechanic, the mechanic says you need a new transmission, and they say that it's going to cost you $1,000 to get a new transmission and you tell that mechanic you want a second opinion and you push your car across the street and they diagnose the exact same problem that you need a new transmission they're going to fix it the exact same way but instead of that thousand dollars they're going to charge you they want eight hundred dollars okay which mechanic are you going to 
to use. That $800 okay. guy. Naturally, the $800 guy is going to fix your transmission. But if you have a medical issue and you walk into a doctor's office and they diagnose it and they say it's going to cost you $1,000 to fix this and you say you want a second opinion and you walk across the hall and they diagnose the exact same problem or going to fix it the exact same way but instead of $1,000 to fix it, they want $2,000 to fix it. What went wrong? Well, and then not only do they want 2000 But you have insurance. Okay. So now why do you care who's doing the work since you have insurance? And let's throw in another factor. This medical issue is on your child. Okay, hold that thought. When we come back from this break, we're going to recap quickly this crazy example. Find out whose child's having a medical issue without breaking any HIPAA laws. I am Ellen Deal. This is the Insurance Deal. Stay tuned. We will be right back. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Your auto love and investment demands the best, and for 45 years, Passport Transport has been meeting those demands. From manufacturers to the one-car collectors and all other facets of the auto industry and antique auto hobby. The first and the finest with unequaled service and peace of mind. Passport Transport, your auto transportation company. Contact PassportTransport.com with your need today. Passport Transport. It's that time of year again. If you suffer from itchy eyes, sneezing, a constant runny nose, sinus headaches, or an increase in asthma symptoms, and you're tired of using allergy medicine, maybe it's time to stop putting a Band-Aid on the problem. Peachtree ENT Center believes in treating the problem instead of masking the symptom. We are pleased to offer an innovative alternative that can free you from this routine. Sublingual immunotherapy is a safe, easy, and effective way to treat allergies to food and environmental allergens for you and your family. Imagine placing drops under your tongue to treat allergies. No shots, no office visits with time off from work, and freedom from needing daily allergy medication. Just think, next year, you can actually enjoy being outdoors. About an hour of your time is all it takes to change the quality of your life. Remember, Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Hello, everybody. I am Ellen Deal. This is the Insurance Deal, and I am your host. We were in the midst of a riveting example of what can happen when people are comparing prices. Bert Haney, my fabulous guest, had just gone into an example of what happens when you are getting your car diagnosed with a transmission issue and one mechanic is going to charge a thousand dollars you go across the street and the next mechanic is going to charge you eight hundred dollars so that's where you're where you get your car worked on but then we were into a further part of the example where you go to the doctor's office you're diagnosed with something and the doctor says it's going to be a thousand dollars to treat you you go across the hall to another doctor's office and they diagnose you with the same thing, and they tell you that it's going to be $2,000, which is when we had to go to the break. Bert, what's going on? Okay, so human nature tells us that the physician charging more money 
is going to be the one that's going to do the procedure because our perception is he's able to charge more money because he's doing a better job. So why wouldn't we want the guy that's doing the better job to do our procedure since it really doesn't make any difference to us cost-wise because we have insurance. Well, given healthcare and the lack of transparency, y'all, anytime you hear the word transparency, just think the opposite. There's nothing transparent about transparency. So why wouldn't the $1,000 doctor and the $2,000 doctor, are they breaking down what those charges are for specifically? No, they, I mean, it's not really even an issue. The public just really, when it comes to their health care, they don't care about the cost. Again, especially if they have insurance. Mm -hmm. The medical community for decades has always said, even to me decades ago, don't worry about it. Your insurance company is going to pay for it. Right. And that's the attitude that we've now, you know, has been ingrained in the public as long as they have insurance. It doesn't make any difference what the cost of the treatment actually is. Yeah. If my auto insurance covered car washes, oil changes, and tire changes, I would be getting my car washed a couple of times a week, and I would have some fancy tires on my car at all times. Well, and what's also happening regarding that is the public will go out of their way to not have a claim against their auto or their homeowner's carrier. But they will scramble in the month of December to Ah. figure out how to have a claim against their health insurance company because, oh, I've met my deductible. I need to have a claim before the end of the year. Well, that's, again, just adding to the problem, uh, again, with the the cost of of care. Mm -hmm. But going back, not only do, do I believe that health care inflation should be attached to the federal rate of inflation because of what the health care community has done up to this point it actually needs to be one percent below whatever the rate of federal inflation is so in other words if federal rate of inflation for uh, the prior year was two percent mm-hmm. you just tell health care providers and the whole industry that they cannot raise their fees any more than 1%. Mm-hmm. At the same time, we know what the industry would do once you even hint that you're going to do that. So what you also have to include in the law is not only is it going to be tied to the federal rate rate of inflation, not only is it going to be 1% below that. By the way, this is actually retroed back to January 1st of this year oh. so that they can't then just hammer the public before the law actually takes effect mm-hmm. with price increases. Mm. So you tie it again just, just as a total uh, provision that it's tied to uh, federal inflation, it's 1% below, and it's retro back to the first of the year. That's just one thing that needs to be done. There are so many things. Uh, a friend of mine was telling me a story of... Um, They had one insurance carrier one year for the annual physical, and then the company they worked for changed insurance companies. That person went back to the same doctor for the same physical, but now the cost of the physical was quite a bit more, and the doctor's office, same doctor's office, wanted to run a new and different additional battery of tests. The person's health hadn't changed at all. They were in great shape. What the person discovered was that the new insurance company 
covered more items in their plan. And so the provider, the doctor, was checking before that person arrived for their visit to see how many things they could add on to this preventive visit. Right. Well, those machines in these offices aren't making any money if no one's using them. Yeah. So they've got to be used in mm-hmm. order to not just pay for themselves, but to generate a profit. Yeah. Um, what else have you got on your, your top 10, 11 list? All right. Well, number two on my list is very controversial. I have even had agents. I've even had agents question uh, this particular one in, mm-hmm. in, in, in disagreement mm-hmm. is that I don't believe insurance actually should pay for preventative care. Just as, a, as an example, what do you think would happen to your auto rates if your auto insurance had to start paying for new brakes? And I can argue all day long that new brakes are going to help prevent me from getting it into an automobile accident. It's just preventative. It just makes sense to, for that to be paid for by insurance. Mm-hmm. Well, shouldn't my auto insurance pay for new tires as well? That's going to prevent me from driving on slick tires to then prevent me from having an automobile accident. Just look at how much money the auto insurance industry would save by paying for all of this new stuff. At the same time, I refuse to believe that you would have to pass a law requiring an insurance company to pay for something if it was going to save them money. So when preventive became part of insurance plans, things being covered at 100%, well, I don't even have to ask the question. I'll ask the question. Did we see rates go up? Obviously, we did see rates go up. Obviously, rates, the more services. You can't have, I don't care what business you're in, you cannot have more, better, and faster and think you're going to pay less money for that. Now, but one thing, people are going to think we're mean, horrible people because they're going to say, well, I, my life was saved because of a preventive. Oh, I don't, I, I don't disagree that we shouldn't have it done. I actually think we should set up different companies in the preventative business. But we're going to have to pay for those services. Mm-hmm. They're not free, and they're not going to save any money. 80% of our health care dollars are spent in the last two weeks of our lives. Yeah. So you can have all the preventative stuff you want. <laughs> it's not going to prevent the final scenario. Sure. Oh. We're eventually going to die of something. Mm-hmm. Preventative care does nothing more than postpone it. And if you think we're going to pay less money by postponing the inevitable, I don't see that that's working. Mm-mm. And insurance, just like your auto and your homeowners, it only pays for the cost of an unforeseen event. We ought to treat health insurance the same way, and maybe we could afford the premiums. Mm-hmm. Now, I think this is one of the things on your top 11 list. If it's not, let's go ahead and talk about um the government thinking that HSAs are the way to go. I personally am on an HSA with a $5,000 deductible, and I dread having to, not dread, but I don't want to have to go to the doctor for anything because I'm going to have to pay for it out of my HSA, with the exception of preventative. Um, So I'm about to go have my physical and other preventive items done, before the end of the year, but I'm not waiting till fourth quarter. So that being said, though, 
people with HSA plans are not using their plans because they've got to come out of pocket $5,000 before the plan pays a penny. Well, bear in mind that your HSA Mm -hmm. does pay 100% for preventative. Yes. So you can actually have that physical and not pay a dime for it as long as there's no diagnosis related to that. Right. So, And that's kind of hurt the insurance companies because they came out with these HSA plans. They lowered the premiums because they were the high deductible. And at the end of the year, they woke up and said, well, wait a minute, we still paid all the same claims for all this preventative stuff Mm -hmm. as we did under all of our other plans, but we collected less premium for it. We got a a problem here. We need to adjust the rates. What happened to the genius actuaries, the math smart people? What happened to the actuaries that should have um, had their eye on that ball, those preventative dollar numbers? What the insurance industry could not foresee is the healthy people leaving the market. In the individual market, there's very few healthy people, again, left in the system. They have been told, again, that they're not very smart to buy insurance now that they've been told they can buy it after they get sick. Um, so when you're saying that health, the insurance industry could not foresee the young, healthy people leaving, I... Uh, Well, again, bear in mind, it's the law Mm, that they have to buy it. So that's what they were banking on. The problem is the penalty for not buying it is a fraction of the premium. So they figured out, well, shoot, penalize me all day long. Look at how much money I'm still saving even though I'm paying a penalty. But in terms of actuaries not being able to foresee healthy people leaving, you think about any time an insurance company raises the rates, and and I've worked at numerous insurance carriers, and when we would get a rate hike, the salespeople, we'd all sit around and go, seriously, they're raising the rates on the entire block of business. The groups that that are healthy, that can afford to leave, are going to leave, and we're going to be stuck with the unhealthy. An actuary thinks in terms of, if we raise our rates... 25%, we're going to make an extra 25% on the dollar of everything. Well, not thinking through the scenario of the healthy people can just leave and go somewhere else. So the actuaries missed it, but they should have seen it. Maybe maybe so, but again, there were a lot of things there. The government was supposed to... Uh, bail out the insurance companies based on their losses. That didn't happen to the uh, full amount that they were promised. Mm -hmm. So that's what uh, buried a lot of them as well. They've lost hundreds of millions of dollars in this market, Mm -hmm. in this industry. They're they're gone. They, Mm -hmm. They don't even want, the premiums aren't high enough for the insurance companies to even want it. When they tell the broker, stop sending it, and if you do, we're going to uh, you're going to be working for free. Yeah. That should have been a wake-up call right there to the public. There's something wrong here that a business no longer wants to play in this playground. There's something wrong. And, again, it's the elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. It's the cost of health care. So you talk about HSAs. Well, HSAs aren't going to solve the problem. Right. I don't think it so. It doesn't address the cost of health care. And, and what the, the medical profession can do would say, okay, we recognize you have a 5000 deductible. We're going to put you on a payment plan. And in reality, we'll just tack, you know, we'll just raise the rates. We're charging your insurance company yeah. just to make up for any lost profit we've got going on. So, and again, the bills are just escalating just for, you know, that reason as, as well. So... HSAs, again, 
aren't going to solve the problem. I agree. Just like selling across state lines. Oh, talk to me about selling across that's, state lines. Because I hear that, you know, I love a lot of our politicians, but oh my gosh, when they all just parrot, they get in their little echo chamber about mm-hmm. that. Please tell the listeners how it's not going to well, work. Well, first of all, if an insurance company were to want to sell across state lines, they're already doing it. If they're not wanting to be in a neighboring state, they're not going to go there. Blue Cross is really the only one that doesn't sell across state lines because there's a different Blue Cross company in every state that they want to be in. So that's not going to solve the problem either because they're already doing it if they want to do it. Hmm. Again, let's, it let's, always goes back to the cost of health care. All right. So we will we'll use that as a good stopping point for our next break. You guys stay tuned and listen to our advertisers. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare. But for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call. And I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare. Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Hey, everybody. I am Ellen Deal, your host of The Insurance Deal. If you have been listening or if you're just tuning in, we are having a great time talking about affordable care, which is not so affordable anymore. But my guest, longtime insurance veteran, Bert Haney of Haney Health Brokerage, has lots of good ideas on what the government could do to bring down the cost of what we are paying for some of them people might not like, but they're also people are also not going to like not having health insurance coverage or having to reach into their own savings if they even have that to to cover their illnesses. So Bert has a fabulous list of top ten now eleven. It's growing of things that we can do. So Bert, spin the wheel and pick one of our next <laughs> okay. items up for bids. Another big pet peeve of mine is that we have got. To stop rewarding the public 
for bad behavior. Mm-hmm. So that individual that is trying to game the system by not buying insurance while they're healthy, knowing that they can buy it after they get sick, actually buying it after they get sick, having their procedures done, and then actually dropping the insurance after the procedure is done. Because why would you pay a premium for a whole year if you can take care of what it it, it is that needs to be done as early in the year as possible? Mm -hmm. So we've got this penalty for not buying it, but the penalty for the people that are gaming the system should actually be based on the premium. So 2.5% of income is bogus. All right. Because the premiums now, for a lot of people, are so much higher than the 2.5% of their income. That's true. So the, pre- the penalty that should be assessed should be based on the premium. So if, it co- if their premium would be $500 a month, right. it can't be, the penalty can't be less than $500 because they're going to take the penalty. The penalty has to be doubled what the premium would have been. Ouch. Okay. To incentivize that person to actually buy the insurance. But then you go back to the family whose cost is $2,000 a month. I mean, nobody, $24,000 a year. There are some families mm-hmm. that only make $24,000 a year. And then we have to address the cost of health care. All right. We're Pick back. We're, we're back to that. Okay. But again, stop rewarding the public yep. that's gaming the system. Right. Because that's what's destroying it for everybody else that is actually doing the right thing by buying it in the event that something were to happen. Mm-hmm. And that group is becoming, you know, smaller and smaller, shrinking by the day yeah. as the, again the healthy people leave. Mm-hmm. I also believe that pre-existing conditions should be covered. If you have had prior coverage. Right. But why should a pre-existing condition be covered for an individual that hasn't had insurance that is now buying it in order to get the pre-existing covered? Well, and here's what the public the public hears when they hear pre-existing. This is not what insurance professionals hear. We understand that a pre-existing condition is something that has happened to you within the last 12 months and you did not have coverage, then you sign up for a plan, you should have to wait six or 12 months before that pre-existing condition being covered. That's how it used to be, and that is what encouraged people to stay on health insurance plans because they'd be like, wow, well, if I drop this thing, mm-hmm. it's going to be six months, 12 months before I'm able to have my diabetes covered. So it encouraged people to keep their coverage. Right. So in other words, here's the def- my definition of pre-existing. Pre-existing is any indication, diagnosis, or treatment. Okay. Treatment includes a prescription. Yeah. If you're taking a prescription for something, whatever that is, right. that's a pre-existing condition. Right. If you've got severe headaches and you don't own insurance and you can't get your headache to go away and you go to see a doctor after buying insurance and the doctor diagnoses a brain tumor, that's a pre-existing condition because there was an indication that Ooh. something was wrong with you as to why you were having those headaches. You didn't think you needed insurance 
uh, prior to the headaches, but now once they started, then you say, Ooh, well, what if something is diagnosed? I need insurance. Mm-hmm. So, again, that's an indication, indication, diagnosis, or treatment. Now, pre-existing, as I said, should be covered as long as they've had prior coverage because that person is not gaming the system. Right. So you, if you have that person that has gamed the system and now they're buying it, the waiting period for pre-existing should actually be anywhere from 12 to 24 months. Okay. So we got to stop rewarding the public for bad behavior mm-hmm. as well as if they've gained the system, not only are they going to have to wait one to two years before that condition is covered, they're going to be assessed a higher premium. Well, so then what about catastrophic plans? I mean, I'm already dealing with a $5,000 deductible, but I want to keep some kind of coverage when my COBRA runs out. So why won't they let me buy something with a $10,000 deductible? Well, unfortunately, the government has what they have uh, set up these metallic level plans, bronze, silver, gold, platinum, and they think uh, they know better than than we as individuals that uh, you can only have a deductible up to a certain amount. Anything above that, an insurance company is not allowed to even offer you. But prior to the metal plans, I remember some of the carriers having really, really high deductibles, but you still had some co-pays for office visits and prescriptions. Depends on the plan. If it was an HSA, no, you you didn't have it. But yes, high deductible plans that were not HSA qualified still had those co-pays for those doctor visits and drugs. Mm -hmm. Now, if you want to go back to my top 10, I actually don't think we should have co-pays. Okay. Tell us what we would have instead of co-pays. You'd have a deductible. Again, you don't pay 10 bucks for new tires. Right. You don't pay... Uh, 40 bucks for uh, new brakes. Mm-hmm. You've got to pay that cost, and it's not even covered by insurance. Insurance is to help, again, offset the unforeseen event. Mm-hmm. And it needs to be catastrophic. When we have these low deductibles and these copay plans, all we're doing is trading dollars with insurance companies. Mm-hmm. I only want an insurance company to pay for something that not that I cannot afford to pay out of my pocket. Okay. If my wife needs a mammogram, I should have to pay that three hundred, that five hundred dollar bill out of my pocket. I don't want to have to give an insurance company $310 to pay that claim. But, Bert, here's where some of the public, I mean, the there are articles all over the place that there are 50% of Americans could not write a check for $500. They don't have $500 in the bank. All right. So, again, we develop these other companies selling preventative Packages. Okay. So, again, you buy a policy, and you say, okay, this package has six preventative services. This package has 12 preventative services. And what is happening is that organization, that company, insurance company or not, makes no difference, has gone and pre-negotiated the cost mm-hmm. of those preventative services mm-hmm. for the general public. So you pay your $10 a month or or. a month Mm -hmm. premium 
for that preventative package of stuff. Yeah. And then you get the benefit of those negotiated rates Mm -hmm. for that mammogram or that prostate exam or whatever it is that you're wanting done. Get it out of insurance because it's not lowering the cost. All right. I want to, uh, I want to invoke Tom Price and Betty Price. If we're listening, we are practically in your backyard. Have a listen to what Bert is saying and see if you can take any of that up to Washington. Um, we have probably got time for one more of your top 10 slash 11. Pick your favorite. All right. Let's talk about open enrollment. Uh. For some reason, the government thought that open enrollment should apply for the whole country at one time. Right. November 1st through January 31st, mm-hmm. where it crushed the insurance companies trying to handle all of the individuals trying to buy or change their individuals individual plans. Right. Let me jump in and point out also that um, insurance companies have been laying off uh, salespeople, account managers, staff of all kinds. So they're now doing more paperwork with less people in a shorter span of time. And then what they did this year, they cut that 90-day open enrollment period down to 45 days, which makes even less sense. They're going in the wrong direction. So open enrollment is November 1st through December 15th. I've yet to figure out, you know, the rationale behind that. Well, what the government actually should have done is that here in Georgia, we renew our auto tags based on our birth month. Well, why can't we buy or change insurance under that same scenario? Yes. It should be that we could buy or change insurance the month before our birth month, the month of our birthday, or the month after our birth month. So we actually have 90 days to figure this out and prevent people from falling through the crack and give them 90 days to figure it out, to buy or change their insurance. And it staggered it through for 12 months throughout the year Mm -hmm. so that we don't crush these companies because they can't handle it. Okay. Well, folks, there you have it. Only half of Bert's top ten, maybe even only three. We're going to have to have a second episode to invite Bert Haney of Haney Health Brokerage back onto the insurance deal so that we can cover everything that can be done to fix health care in our country because we need it. Folks, I enjoy coming to you every week. It's my pleasure to talk to you about health insurance and hopefully break it down into a way that is understandable. Bert, thank you very, very much for spending an hour with us today. And folks, tune in next week at 11 a.m. on Thursdays for another episode of The Insurance Deal. I am your host, Ellen Deal, and it has been my pleasure. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.